everyone, it's Chloe, and I'm so excited to share something fabulous with you, Vogue's first ever global fashion community, Vogue Club. Our members get to mingle with Vogue editors, yes, including me, and fellow fashion enthusiasts at exclusive events around the world. And that's just the start. Membership opens doors to the fashion industry, bringing you expert career advice and insider style and beauty tips. What are you waiting for? Head over to Vogue.com membership to join. And here's a little treat. Use code TRT20 and snag 20% off your membership. That's TRT20 for 20% off your ticket to Vogue Club. Are you in? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is The Run-Through. I'm Chloe Mal. And I'm Cho Minardi. And today we're actually on episode three of our series, this series that I'm absolutely loving about women that we want to wear. So all of the female designers we're really into. I know. it's uh, It's been quite a lineup for us. We have a fantastic conversation about Mrs. Prada and what makes her the woman we all want to wear. I'm just envisioning you in her skin. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to sit down with Victoria Beckham, which was a real treat, and got to ask her all about David planning out his outfits a week in advance and one special question that she was quite upset by but you'll have to tune in and listen to find out what that was on today's episode we have vogue runway director nicole phelps here to talk about today's designer welcome nicole good to be here you spoke to gabriella hurst right i know she was at chloe but she also has her own brand. Yes. I've been reviewing Gabby's shows here in New York for for many years, close to a decade, I think. She's at a pivot point in her career, having spent three years at Chloe and turned that brand into a, a B Corp and really brought a lot of her sustainable principles to Paris. And now she's refocusing on her own collection. And she's a great interview. Uh, she's a very inspiring person, tireless and uh, indefatigable. I think that's how you say that word. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's true. You never say it. That's you just such read a good it. description of her. <sighs> oh my god! I remember talking to her about her schedule when she was at Chloe. I mean, the she has young kids. She was traveling back and forth to Paris. I was like, this cannot be a long term solution. It she seemed. makes it sound like she didn't mind it. You know, she didn't mind it at all. But um, I think. I actually am sort of suspicious of, like, one designer doing two brands. Like, yeah. I always have been. And I think it's a real opportunity for her to to be refocused on on just one. I'm excited to see what happens at Gabriella Hearst now. I also, she's so inspiring to me because of what a beacon she's been for sustainability. And honestly, from the beginning, before she really had established herself, it was always her number one priority. And to have brought that to a huge conglomerate— and really left an imprint there is is so admirable and impressive. And her clothes are quite chic. Oh, they're so chic. She, one could argue, alongside the row, really launched 
quiet luxury, yes. if we must say say the dreaded term. Yeah. So we started out the sound check uh, talking about shoes, and we love uh, to do that at the run through. In true Gabriella Hurst uh, style, she had a, a long story to tell about what she was wearing. I've, it's the first thing I look at people. Shoes? Always. Always. Mm. It tells a lot. And um, it's where my eye goes first. Yeah. Talking about shoes, and you can stop me whenever you want. It's really the one thing that is very, very hard to not have it be decade focus and to do timeless. But that's why I like both of our shoes right now. They're, they're timeless. They could be from any period. Why is that? Because there's, um, I think shoes follow a trend. And, but I think I spoke to you about this before. Uh, the, the Vivian Westwood Pirate boot was always an example for me because it's a design in 1976. And, but the last is from probably like the late 1700s. And so creating that thing that, that you cannot pinpoint uh, in time is really what triggers me in design. Can you tell people what a last is for people who don't understand shoe construction? It's the shape of the shoe that you that you wear, and uh, and also you can define in the last the the, show, the to, toe shape as well. Do you have a pair of Vivian Westwood's pirate yes, boots? Yes, I do. Do you remember when you got them or how you got them? Well, I I believe in giving when it hurts, right? Like, if you have extra, it's easy to give. But So I used to have one pair of Vivian, uh, Vivian Westwood pirate boots, and I gave them to my best friend. And it was the first time in my life that I was like, Ay. so I went and bought a pair. So I bought it twice in my life. But they're not that easy to find, right? No, no. I have mine, my second pair, it's probably 10 years ago. They're sort of a grail item. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's you like your history of fashion. That's one to have. So we have you in because you're at a very interesting, uh, I guess, a pivot point in your career. Yeah. You uh, have spent the last three years as creative director at Chloe. That came to an end in September. And uh, it's a moment for you to redouble your efforts at, at Gabriella Hurst at your own line, which you launched, is it eight years ago or nine years ago? No, no. Nine years ago. Nine years ago now. Let's start with Chloe, though. What would you say was the best part of it and the worst part of it and what you learned? The best part is easy to answer. It's the people. I mean, I met some incredible talent and the people I, I work with. And there's a moment, you know, team building is it's, it's one of the, would say, for any industry, for any job, team building is the key of any success. Nobody does anything alone. And I think towards uh, the end of, of uh, the project, there was a swing, you know, when it, things work like a jazz band. And it's easier at Gabriela Hearst where, where you have a, a shorthand, right? Like I move an eyebrow and everybody knows exactly what I mean. And it's like, you got, we mumble, we don't even talk to each other. We go, rah, rah, rah. Okay, got it, <laughs> you know? So, but to develop that shorthand in, in, I would say the team was one of the best experiences at Chloe. And that from the the um, human level, and then from the mission level, let's put it, uh, was the how fast. Like if I go back, it's like how fast and how relentless was the drive to put all the research and development that we have learned at Gabriela Hurst and put them 
at Chloe. So the able that we were able to pivot all our sustainable efforts so quickly, that's really something really, really proud. Why did you want to do two brands at once? Do you, do you, I mean, how ambitious are you? Mm, very, but there were good reasons. Everything I do has a thought process in the sense of I has to be not just beneficial for me. It has to be beneficial for, for others, and it has to multiply. The more people it benefits, the better the, the, the idea is and the project and the commitment. And Chloe was a brand that I've always loved and aesthetically was, as I say, it's, a, it's like speaking Spanish and French. It's not too different route, right? And so it was an aesthetic, and I really resonated with the founder, Gabi Agnon, and, and her, I don't know, a lot of people know her strong socialist um, principles and the way to build something for others. And uh, it's, it's really formidable. She was a visionary. And I wanted to learn. I'm, a, an, I'm an avid learn, learner, and I knew that that was part of the Dharma. I knew that I was going to go to Chloe before it even happened. Mm. So um, I just was determined. We should give a shout-out to Gabby Aguillon, the founder yeah. of Chloe. She was, she was a badass. I mean, we have our labels now as designers in our clothes, thanks to her, because she refused to put before it used to be for store, blah, 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 from Chloe, right? And she was like, or oh, you put my label, you don't take my clothes. And she changed that. And if you even look at the first invitation that she did for her first show, I mean, that's Peter Miles kind of <laughs> style. And left bank, and I visited her granddaughter, and I visited her son, and the way they live and the aesthetic, it really resonated to, to who I, I am and what I, I like as well, where it's not a lot, but precious and things that mean something. Mm -hmm. She was even recycling. People don't know this. She was repurposing before repurposing was a thing. With the leftovers of fabric, she would do her own handkerchiefs. And there's a line that I like that she said where it's all, for her, was about detail and quality. Mm -hmm. And that resonated exactly with, with me. Talk about what those three years were like in juggling two jobs and living in two places in New York and Paris. I, people think that that part was rough, and I and I didn't didn't feel it because I really love what I I do. I I don't, and it's I like to say <laughs> this quote from Artemisia Gentileschi. Um, your lordship, let me tell you what a woman can do. That's a 16, from the 1600s. And, and I'm like, yeah, okay, it's tough, but you have no idea how much I can endure. I mean, I grew up in a ranch. I was herding cattle all my childhood. So, yeah, this is, this is nice. <laughs> you have young kids, though. How did, mm -hmm. how did they deal with, uh, with you being gone sometimes? Well, I had the conversation with my, my daughters. They are teenager daughters, and they were the ones that were going to basically, you know, suffer the most. And they are such natural-born feminists that they were, you have to do this, mom. You can't live without doing this. And so, and let's not forget it was a pandemic. So the whole experience is quite surreal. You talk a lot about your daughters and learning from them. So I'm curious, what are you learning from them now? They're 15, right? I'm learning a lot from them and I'm learning from their friends as well. And the way they think and the way 
their value system, I think they're very, very fair generation, that they're very sensitive to to other people and their respect to other people. And this is not just my daughter. And I see it with their, their friends. But I remember when um, the war, just the recent one, two years ago, the war in, in, um, in Tigray in Ethiopia happened. And, and there was this terrible article I read in National Geographic and, you know, about women and rape and how the, the, the journey of, of, of one of the of one of the women the article described. And I told my daughter, and and my daughter was, Mom, she's like, you, we have to read these articles because if they go through it, the minimum thing we can do is read about mm-hmm. their suffering. And so that that's the type of lesson that is quite profound. And then style. Right now they're blowing me away with the style. My son is your daughter's age, and he too has sort of discovered fashion. <laughs> He's like a 30-inch waist, and he's wearing size 38 waistband <laughs> jeans that he finds at the vintage store. Vintage store shopping is the way to go. You know, people are really um, don't understand this generation. That's what they do. Well, that is a very good segue to talk about sustainability, which is something that is at the root of Gabriella Hurst. Mm-hmm. So go back to the early days of, of launching Gabriella Hurst. Why did you decide to make sustainability part of the mission? It was really rooted from my origins, right? I, was, I had inherited my father's ranch in 2011 when he passed away, and I was going back and forward. You knew my other brand, Candela, that was positioned in the contemporary world and and you know I was selling to the department stores and the pressure to to have a lower price point and lower the quality and and compared to what I was doing in the ranch which is organic grass-fed and this is something my family has done for seven generations and most of Uruguay is uh, livestock that eats grass so for me it was something that had to be constructed in long-term view and sustainability and sustainability because it's what I grew up in, nothing more circular than a ranch. And you learn about quality from a utilitarian point of view, because things have to last. I mean, we are two hours and a half from the closest town. Mm-hmm. It's not like I need to go and grab that. So you have to measure, quantify. I mean, I remember my grandfather just like measuring how much sugar we have, how much flour we have, you know, like really inventory. It's like living in a boat in a way because you're really in the middle of, of nowhere. And sustainability was really part of how I was brought up. It wasn't even the, the verticality of everything, of making our own soap or of using the own wool. So it was important for me to, to integrate it. And if we were going to do a product, which I believe really strongly, uh, it's the drive of us today, is if we're going to do a pro- product, it has to have it has to achieve to be better than what's out there because there's too much already. So if I don't do something that I can justify my conscience, there's no point. I'm really happy just sketching at home. Can you just uh, tell us a little bit more about your childhood home? Yes, I grew up till five years old um, with my mother and a father in, in a ranch uh, close to my grandfather's, which is my mom's ranch now, and it's still off the grid. It was... Uh, a very remote existence and you leave a group of maybe 10, 12 people with the people that work in the ranch uh, far away so the silence at night is silence the darkness 
at night it's dark, but it's full of stars mm-hmm. because the southern hemisphere, you can see more stars. Um, I mean, that's all changing with uh, all these satellites. Thank you, Elon. And it really was that. And this is in Uruguay. Yeah, this is in Uruguay, South America. And it's something that for me was my normal because there was no one in my family that wasn't living like this. What it produces is imagination. It becomes your toy. I mean, I had all kind of fantasies. And, um, and you also learn how to survive and make quick decisions. The run-through will be back in just a moment. Hi, we're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier, and you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru, and you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting store shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Maybe a chef-grade range made you want to hone your cooking skills, or a high-tech tennis racket made you want to work on your backhand. I recently bought a new pair of running shoes, and that made me love hitting the pavement again. Well, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This podcast is supported by Macy's. Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a backyard staycation, Macy's has what you need this summer. Shop the easiest and breeziest brands like Nina Parker, Vince Camuto, and Dolce Vita. Macy's has all your must-have items from sundresses to matching sets to wedges, beach bags and towels, you name it. Stock up for summer at Macy's. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style today. That's Macy's.com slash own your style. So so building a sustainable brand uh, from all the conversations we've had over the years, yeah. it starts with materials. Is that right? I mean, you're sourcing upcycled and recycled materials. I mean, how does a person go about building a sustainable fashion business? I mean, I have to tell you, it's much easier now than eight years ago. I mean, the evolution for, of Recycle cashmere's that didn't exist, you know. Supply and demand—it's—it's it's incredible. Like the denim we use is uh, recycled cotton, and because I was very ag- against using cotton because of the water usage and the herbicides and pesticides, and I prefer linen and other fabrications. But the first thing I would say, yeah, it's materials, and I always say, look at the past, right? Look at how we lived in civilization when it comes to fibers and fabrics. In, and, and I always point the example of uh, in Roman times, Europe was dressed with three materials, wool, leather, and linen. And if, when people ask me what's the most sustainable fiber, I would say merino and wool and for endurance. 
And so, yes, I would. the first thing you do, and that's the first thing I did at Chloe, too, was like change the materials, change the galvanization process. There was all these different 10,000 different golds. I'm like, we don't need 10,000 different golds. We need one gold and one silver. So just eliminating everything that is the excess first. How do you sort of reconcile? This is something I struggle with all the time, which is desire and the desire for newness, the desire to keep up with the way fashion changes and the sort of necessity for us all to consume less. I would like to understand from you how you deal with that on a personal level, but also on a professional level in your business. I did an exercise one year of not to buy anything. Like, you know, I could buy gifts. That was like, you know, if I had a... And of course, I have a lot of clothes because of of my job, right? And But I don't have like a walk-in closet. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I have... I have, um, and I, I have friends that have my same shoe size and, you know, and of course saving special pieces for my, my daughters and my kids. But I think that I grew up with a striking mother, right, that had, uh, was a very strong female figure for me. And she didn't have a huge wardrobe. She had a small wardrobe with very specific pieces that she would make with her seamstress. And we used to, again, going to the past, we didn't have that habit of buying clothes. You would get clothes for special periods of your life. And I said it the first time we launched. I, I prefer one person buys a good quality sweater for us than buy 10 other not so good quality things in other places. It's like, I just think that just buy few but good. There are a few things that feel as good as a Gabriella Hearst cashmere sweater. Thank you. <laughs> I agree with that statement. So let's talk about fashion more broadly because, uh, you know, we at, at, at Vogue.com, we are looking at the Internet and we're looking at social media and the trends move faster and faster. And it it's almost, you know, a little bit ridiculous, I think, the way things are moving mm-hmm. so quickly. What do you make of the current state? of fashion when you look around and you see everything that's happening? Well, I've, I've followed my own drum and uh, I could wear a, you know, recycled cotton t-shirt that said, I survive street style. And, <laughs> you know, like st- street fashion, logo maniac. I just keep to my corner and where my, where the ideas come from and where everything is built. And, I call it farmer's distrust, but anything that goes too fast, I'm always weary because even if something goes too fast, there's only one thing, way to go down fast. So I, I, I stay away from all of it. You know, I've seen so many trends. I've been, you know, I've, I've, when, you know, Instagram came out and everybody wanted to do digital ads on Instagram, I was like, no, that's really not us. I don't really want to give money to Mark Zuckerberg. It's like, it's fine. You know, I don't really, I have a very specific of what luxury feels and looks and, um, and it means being timeless. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. 
That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. So what can you tell us about fall 2024, Gabriella Hurst? You know how obsessed I am with materials and fabrics, and I, and I think we outdid ourselves here. I've been following this route of studying women um, through Gabriella Hurst, and this is uh, Leonora Carrington, a surrealist painter. For me, she's, you know, this visionary woman, this statement. She's a very private painter and the only time she would come out and speak, this is in the 1970s, was about feminism and environment and then when she was living in Mexico. And she, a witch, you know, could see visions and incredible life, remarkable artists. But also I think the surrealist movement is a, a movement uh, that I was been thinking that is it's current to our time mm-hmm. when we don't understand so much. The surrealist movement came about with First World War, which was one of the most inhumane things that we've ever seen in in a large scale that had happened. And how do how do you explain explain all these young boys and people without limbs walking in the streets? So it was a very traumatic time, and this is what the surrealism. Uh, does and I think this is a this is a subject that is important to have right now when we are moving through these turbulent times. You use the word witch. Yes. Talk about that a little bit more. You've used it before. Yeah. I, for me, the symbol of the witch is, um, and I always say we're not scared. We're out. Is to is to show women in in the full potential, full potential of their wits, full potential of. Of their of their beauty and of their inner beauty and of their creation and so, it's really I, I am a devout believer that we won't see the progress that we need to save our species if women are not in leadership position. Like, <laughs> like it's game over. So I'm really really uh, focused on on that and bringing back to to the past. Spiritualism had its trend that was quite high during the Industrial Revolution. And as now we're being formed by two major changes, which is the digital revolution and climate crisis, I think this openness to be more aware of the things that we are not completely clear with science, right? Like, I find it funny that if 15 years ago people would say something about horoscopes or now people are like, oh, it's Mercury retrograde, you know, like it's difficult. Or, But, you know, there is the goddess and, and the women divinity comes from agriculture belief system. And, and you can really see that that's really what provoked all the religions that we know now. Yes, gosh, there's so many different directions we can go in, uh, go in from there. But uh, tell me how you feel about the appointment of a fellow South American to the Moschino job, Adrian Apiolazza. Vamos, <laughs> that's the only thing. I, I am, I am like that's so exciting for me. It is really exciting because to grow up, and he's from from Argentina, but it, this is a culture that I can relate to because we live so far away. 
and so hungry for culture. So, and we we have both, you know, we always look at the axis of culture, uh, Europe and the U.S., right, and integrate it with, with the energy of living so far away. It creates a very specific point of view. And all the artists, all the Latin American artists that have influenced us that people don't know about gets gets translated. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for him, too. He seems like a, a really sweet guy. Uh, what about your cultural diet? What are you reading and uh, or watching, high or lowbrow? Um, I'm reading uh, The White Goddess from Robert Grave because, again, I'm really interested in the subject of um, divinity. And I find it fascinating that in the empire of, of Rome at the time, what different cultures, let's say the Celts, um, if you wanted to go and dominate a culture, you had to attack their deities, their, what their goddesses were, where, who they believe in. And so they had to hide who they believed in. Mm-hmm. And so it had to be oral and secret and all this really, really um, complex way to really reveal who had their soul and their belief. And it was, it's fascinating to mm-hmm. me and the position of, of women in it. It's, it's really um, what I'm fascinated. And then on the, on, I wouldn't say lowbrow, but I like watching the bear. I oh, just, me too. Because I think it's important for people to learn when they see a show like that how much it takes for someone to make your sandwich, right? And and I always compare because I have a friend, one of my best friends is a chef, that um, that Daniel Hum from Eleven Miles on Park. How there's some similarities to what we do in the terms of ingredients and team. How important is team working that. I spend so much time in the office. The people that I that I love are there, and so it's it's you can't do anything alone. And I think that show really, really, really shows that the way we need to learn how to communicate and appreciate each other. Well, thank you very much, Gabriella Hurst, for joining me here. It's always great to talk to you, and I learned so much. Well, thank you so much for having, and it's always so lucky to have a conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> And that's all, folks. Bye. The Run Through with Vogue is a production of Condé Nast. The show is produced by Susie Lechtenberg, Chelsea Daniel, and Alex John Burns, with engineering from Jake Loomis, Gabe Kiroga, and James Yost. It is mixed by Mike Kutchman. Chris Bannon is Condé Nast's head of global audio. Get balanced or thrive trying. My name is Les, and I'm the host of Balanced Black Girl, a podcast dedicated to helping you feel your best. Join me for casual conversations about what it means to live a well-rounded life. I cover everything from how to make friends as an adult to how to create a workout routine that works for you to how to practice better financial wellness. Tune in for approachable conversations with wellness thought leaders and inspiring guests, as well as intimate solo chats with me for relatable advice. Follow wherever you get your podcasts and look out for new episodes every Tuesday. From PRX.